0: Alexa, play unfucking the Republic. Here's Republic of Doyle, season one, episode one.
1: No, no, Alexa, Alexa, play unfucking the Republic podcast.
0: Playing unck my business from Amazon Music. Here's huh? season one, oh. episode one. Alexa, we start?
1: Play the podcast UNFTR. Playing
0: physiotape says on one FTR Conulary
1: from what? Apple Podcasts. The fuck. Here's the latest. Alexa. Episode play unfucking the republic
0: here are some ways you can watch the republic
1: oh fuck me alexa play unftr podcast unfucking the republic
0: getting you heard it first but did you learn from it oh jesus
1: Apple fucking alexa alexa fuck my life
2: fuck your life bing bang. Unfucking the Republic is brought to you by Sam C, Cringy, and Cindy S. Unfucking insane level members of the show. And today's episode is sponsored by Kim Hoover, Writer, and Jen J. And Hand fuckers, it's your girl ninety nine. Stay tuned at the end of the episode for show notes to learn more about how we're supported and to listen while Max and I review listener feedback, discuss upcoming episodes, and try to solve the problems of the world. And now, on with the show.
0: I rejoice in your disposition to argue the Vietnam question, especially when I recognize what an act of self-control this must uh, involve. It does, sure, it really does. Death. I mean, I think and, that this is a kind well. of issue you where, very well. you know, sometimes <laughs> I lose my temper. Maybe not. Maybe not tonight, <laughs> uh, because uh, if you would, I'd smash you in the goddamn face. <laughs> <laughs>
1: William F. Buckley, leading figure of conservatism for decades and founder of the National Review, invited famed linguist Noam Chomsky to appear on his show Firing Line in 1969. That clip was part of a now infamous exchange where Buckley, during his introduction of Chomsky, attempted to assert the alpha role by half-jokingly suggesting that he would sock Chomsky in the mouth if he got temperamental or angry during the interview. Having viewed countless hours of Chomsky, I'm not sure that he's even capable of expressing anger, but that's beside the point. Chomsky good-naturedly responds that this machismo threat was an incentive to keep his cool. But then over the next hour, he proceeds to dismantle an increasingly uncomfortable and agitated Buckley by exposing flaws and mischaracterizations in Buckley's arguments, routinely correcting his history, and even cutting off the man famous for cutting off his guests. I'm sure many of you have watched this professional undressing before, but if you haven't, it's worth it. This was Chomsky's first big-time bid to enter the public arena beyond his celebrated accomplishments in the field of linguistics, which we'll get to. He was known in academic circles as a formidable intellectual with unpopular anti-war views, particularly in the war in Vietnam, but Firing Line was his biggest audience up until that point. It was utter destruction in the coldest and yet most savage way imaginable. It's rumored that the performance bothered Buckley until the bitter end, as evidenced by the fact that it was Chomsky's first and last invitation to appear on Firing Line. And when Buckley died and joined Ronald Reagan and Milton Friedman in Lucifer's Basement Barbecue, Chomsky was asked to reflect on Buckley's legacy.
0: He was the you know, maybe the leading figure in the uh, so-called conservative movement. I don't think the term conservative is appropriate, but what's called the conservative movement he was maybe his leading figure, he was maybe his leading intellectual, his journal was the House Journal. Uh, uh, he was considered, not by me, but he was considered to be uh, witty, articulate, uh, knowledgeable, and so on. And much respected,
1: again, not by me. Today, we celebrate the life of Noam Chomsky, who turns 93 this week and we discussed the nature of punditry, the role of true intellectuals in today's society, and the cult of pseudo-intellectual charlatans.
2: This is the story of a political pundit who looked at the world around him and just said, fuck it. Gives the middle finger to authority and says, kiss my ass. But instead of a revolution, he started a podcast. Just what the world The the
0: now, if you'd all do me a favor and close your eyes. You may open your eyes. Happy Noam Chomsky Day. <laughs> but Noam was born on December 7th. Well, we're celebrating it today.
2: Oh! Uncle Noam, the day of your birth. Uncle no! it's
1: the day of your birth! Uncle no! it's the day of your birth! Uncle no! Uncle Gnome, Uncle Gnome! No. Oh hey! What kind of
2: crazy person celebrates
1: Noam Chomsky's birthday like it's some kind of official holiday? Why can't we celebrate Christmas like the rest of the entire world?
0: You would prefer to celebrate a magical, fictitious elf instead of a living humanitarian who's done so much to promote human rights and understanding? Okay, well, let's have a discourse.
1: I've asked to join us tonight, Professor Noam Chomsky.
0: Noam Chomsky has made two international reputations in unrelated or apparently unrelated fields. The widest is as one of the national leaders of American resistance to the Vietnam War. The deepest is as a professor of linguistics who, before he was 40 years old, had transformed the nature of his subject. Noam Chomsky has been called many things. The most important intellectual alive, America's leading dissenter, and a few other things not suitable for polite company.
1: Yeah, that's right. Not everyone holds Dear Uncle Noam in the same high regard. And I want to be clear that it's taken me decades to reach a point where I no longer engage in hero worship myself. I think 99 and I even discussed this in recent show notes. But I've also reached a point where I can appreciate the work separate from the master. Like how Glenn Greenwald's descent into utter asshole doesn't erase his groundbreaking work on the security and surveillance state. Or how Christopher Hitchens' defense of the Iraq War, due to his increasingly intense dislike of Islam, doesn't diminish, in my mind at least, his takedowns of Kissinger, the Clintons, or the Catholic Church. There are no perfect people. Well, except for Alan Alda. But in my book, Noam Chomsky comes pretty fucking close. I should note that this episode will ride the edge of hero worship, but that's not my intent. And it's a departure from our regular examinations of social and economic policies, though it's certainly adjacent. Furthermore, I want to again acknowledge both personal and ethno-bias, as later we'll examine the role and void of public intellectuals through a predominantly Western lens. And this exercise will be uncharacteristically brief out of respect for Chomsky's plain-spoken and economical approach to language. Oh God, thank God, a short one. Since the early 1960s, Noam Chomsky has been a prolific and consistent presence in the national consciousness. So this episode is equal parts on fucking, exploration, and lamentation over the current state of intellectualism in the United States, primarily.
0: Uh, You know, there are things that you have to study and know something about. But by and large, what happens in social and political life is relatively accessible. It does not take uh, special training. It doesn't take... uh, unusual intelligence. What it really takes is honesty.
1: There are a couple of profound ideas contained within this very brief statement It was given to Bill Moyers in a 1988 interview. Moyers had asked whether it takes special access, training, or education to positively impact political and social discourse, and Chomsky responds by indicating that it's different than the sciences, that it's completely accessible if one can think critically and behave honestly. And that it doesn't require what he calls unusual intelligence and what's interesting about the latter part is that chomsky possesses exactly that unusual intelligence and yet he's made a career out of speaking in plain direct and wholly accessible language if anything i believe that that is his true superpower As one of the most notable and highly regarded linguists in the world, vocabulary is as available to him as oxygen, and yet he never uses sesquipedalian language to impress. Today's word is sesquipedalian, spelled S-E-S-Q-U-I-P-E-D-A-L-I-A-N. Sesquipedalian is an adjective that means having many syllables, a synonym of the word long. And while he can speak for hours on end on a multitude of subjects, he is remarkably economical in his use of language. Always direct, always to the point, and always backed by facts. Today, we live in a political and media culture seemingly devoid of facts. The most brazen of lies gets the most visibility in airtime, while historical context and reality are brushed aside in favor of the sensational. The New York Times recently reported that nearly 15% of all Americans believe it is responsible and patriotic to overthrow the government based on the falsely propagated narrative that the presidential election was stolen, the so-called big lie. Nearly every statement uttered by the last president of the United States was in some form a lie or at a minimum an exaggeration. MSNBC dedicated an overwhelming amount of coverage to theories about Russia that were disproven early and often. The defense attorneys for Alex Jones and the Sandy Hook defamation case even argued that he's playing a character and shouldn't be taken seriously. And fucker Carlson admitted on Dave Rubin's show that he lies if he's backed into a corner. I mean, I lie. If I'm really cornered or something, I lie. I really try not to. I try never to lie on TV. I, try, I just don't, you know, I don't like lying. I certainly do it, you know, out of weakness or whatever. The media has always been culpable when it comes to furthering false government narratives, propaganda masquerading as journalism. This has roots in our founding. Several of the founding fathers themselves owned competing publications established to promote their agendas. Major media outlets have always been owned by wealthy individuals with their own grand designs on social hierarchies and structures, and we've covered it before, how the competition between Pulitzer and Hearst drove us into the Spanish-American War. How the cozy relationship between the Kennedy administration and the liberal media elite in the 1960s paved the way for our involvement in Vietnam. The absolute abrogation of responsibility of all major media outlets in the run-up to the Iraq war. But many journalists still live in the fantasy created during the Watergate era that they're part of a swashbuckling counterculture speaking truth to power. Well here's Chomsky sticking a pin in the hopes and dreams of a journalist who presses him on his critique of the media.
0: Well, I know some of the best and best known investigative reporters in the United States. I won't mention names, because I'm like whose attitude toward the media is much more cynical than mine. In fact, they regard the media as a sham. And they know and they consciously talk about how they try to play it like a violin. If they see a little opening, they'll try to squeeze something in that ordinarily wouldn't make it through. Uh, and it's perfectly true that the majority, I'm, I'm sure you're speaking for the majority of journalists who are trained, have it driven into their heads, that this is a crusading a pre- uh, profession, adversarial, we stand up against power, a very self serving view. Uh, on the other hand, in my opinion, I hate to make a value judgment, but the better journalists, and in fact the ones who are often regarded as the best journalists, have quite a different picture.
1: I'm putting my money down on Seymour Hersh as one of the journalists he's speaking of because that resonates pretty closely with the accounts in Hersh's book, Reporter, which is quite good, by the way. What's new and weird now is the growing band of independent outlets, the point that we were making in our Independent Platform Man episode. Hey, Tom, give the good folks a call back.
2: He's taking on the mainstream and corporate big guys with shows on YouTube, Apple, Netflix, and Spotify he got no time to pay attention to the lame-ass press Sleep on his Casper mattress. He's everything from vaccines to subscribe and rate. independent platform man.
1: So Fucker Carlson is a monster now, but he's Frankenstein's monster. He still belongs to Dr. Murdoch. But it wasn't long ago that Bill O'Reilly occupied his spot. O'Reilly, still around in the potosphere. Steve Bannon has a huge following and is laying the groundwork to disrupt the next election at the precinct level. We went through the list and did the math on that same episode about the incredible reach of independent pundits, and it's fucking terrifying. It also doesn't begin to touch on the abundance of terrestrial radio hosts who are as responsible for COVID misinformation as anyone, each one trying to grab the mantle from Limbaugh's departure from Earth. It's one of the reasons we're such sticklers about sourcing and why it takes so much time to put our episodes together. It's really, really difficult to be bulletproof. But sourcing matters. And as consumers of information, whether it's podcasts or broadcast news, you should all demand this respect for sourcing. UNFDR! Noam Chomsky was born... Noam Chomsky in the year of our Lord, 1928, in the city of Brother Love, He began his teaching career at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology in 1955, and shortly into his tenure developed a theory of transformational generative grammar, which revolutionized the field of linguistics. Now I'm probably going to massacre the theory and its impact on our understanding of language as this is very far afield from my wheelhouse, but as I understand it, what Chomsky proposed was that language was a distinctly human trait, something encoded in our DNA rather than something acquired. Structure and nuance could be acquired through mimicry and study, but the innate possession of the fundamentals of language was imprinted, not gained. So prior to his breakthrough, which is not a belief held by everyone, mind you, though it's still considered foundational in the study of linguistics, language development theories were in the purview of the behavioral sciences. An article in The Atlantic that discussed the principles of artificial intelligence and the importance of Chomsky's theories in its development describes the difference this way, quote, Behaviorist principles of associations could not explain the richness of linguistic knowledge our endlessly creative use of it, or how quickly children acquire it with only minimal and imperfect exposure to language presented by their environment. The language faculty, as Chomsky referred to it, was part of the organism's genetic endowment, much like the visual system, the immune system, and the circulatory system, and we ought to approach it just as we approach these other more down-to-earth biological systems." End quote. So it's interesting that in the advanced study and search for machine learning of language, Chomsky's theories are even more relevant today. Now, I've read enough about how groundbreaking this line of thinking was and remains in the study of language to have a cursory understanding of the debate between those in Chomsky's camp and the behavioral sciences, but not enough to explore it further. Nevertheless, it's crucial to understand his seismic contribution to his chosen discipline as it laid the groundwork of credibility for everything that he accomplished subsequently. Here's another passage from a New Yorker article in 2003 that places his influence in its proper context, quote, Chomsky's intellectual influence is still extraordinary. On an academic list of the 10 most frequently cited sources of all time, a list that includes the Bible, he ranks eighth above Hegel and Cicero, just below Plato and Freud. The revolution he started in linguistics in the late 1950s captured the public imagination the way Einstein's revolution in physics did. Leonard Bernstein used Chomsky's theories to analyze music. Literary critics used them in the interpretation of poetry. Psychologists studied children's acquisition of language almost for the first time. A new school of thought, cognitive science, arose based on Chomsky's theory of language along with notions about artificial intelligence philosophers started talking about ideas that hadn't been taken seriously since the time of Descartes, end quote. So to date, Chomsky has more than 120 books to his name. Most people don't read 120 fucking books in their lifetime, and this guy wrote them. Think about that. I mean, some of these are compendiums of essays and lectures, and others are purely original texts. But it's a stunning output that boggles the imagination and seemingly defies the principles of time. But Chomsky possesses a rare intellect, an incomparable work ethic, and the natural gift of a photographic memory, a memory that has yet to fail him even at 93. i've personally had email exchanges with him in the past as he's known to respond almost instantly to inquiries and requests from the public he frequently appears on random youtube interviews with obscure hosts and students or programs like democracy now or outlets like al jazeera but he rarely appears in any mainstream format these days despite being one of the most quoted people in history perhaps it's because he doesn't suffer fools or refuses to offer hollow and pithy talking points to the largest questions of the day. Ask a silly question, you're likely to be embarrassed. Ask a probing question and buckle up because you're gonna get a lecture and a life lesson and it's gonna blow through the commercial break. Either way, this oft quoted oracle doesn't fit neatly into the 24/7 media landscape because he's incapable of being reductive and refuses to be dragged into the gutter of hysterical punditry. And it's this punditry that really got me thinking about Chomsky and the role of the public intellectual in today's society. Here's where I'm looking to the unfucking community to crowdsource some names. See, I've had this episode on the board for several months waiting for Uncle Nome’s birthday to celebrate the position he occupies today and has occupied for more than six decades. This idea of a public intellectual. But I feel as though we're awash in cheap imitations these days, and there are several would-be successors who fall short for various reasons, not the least of which is that Chomsky objectively operates on another intellectual plane because of his perfect recall. But I'd love to hear from you, fuckers, who you believe are some of these successors, some of the heirs to a public intellectual that can speak on multiple subjects like a Chomsky. For example there are those mostly on the right who look to canadian psychologist jordan peterson as the leading modern day thinker now apart from my disdain for his theories on gender roles in society i find peterson to also be shallow confusing and very unappealing so it came as a relief when i came across this interview with chomsky in 2019 on a youtube show called theories of everything you haven't talked much about jordan peterson and i wanted to know if you had any disagreements with what he says
0: Frankly, I pay very little attention. But uh, if you want to know about Jordan Peterson, I think the best thing I can refer you to is an article by uh, Nathan Robinson, a very sharp, acute critic in his journal Current Affairs. It's called something like uh, The Intellectual We Deserve or something like that. Da, 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 da. It's the double
1: So first off he answered this question off the cuff by naming the author and correctly identifying the title of a piece that ran a year prior to this interview i can't remember the title of my own episodes half of the time and this dude is pulling year old articles and authors out of his ass and he was 91 at the time of the interview as for the article itself it is a masterpiece and it puts into words everything i feel when i listen to jordan peterson speak i think it's worth sharing here's the lead If you want to appear very profound and convince people to take you seriously but have nothing of value to say, there is a tried and tested method. First, take some extremely obvious platitude or truism. Make sure it actually does contain some insight, though it can be rather vague. Something like, if you're too conciliatory, you will sometimes get taken advantage of. Or many moral values are similar across human societies. Then, try to restate your platitude using as many words as possible, as unintelligibly as possible while never repeating yourself exactly. Use highly technical language drawn from many different academic disciplines so that no one person will ever have adequate training to fully evaluate your work. Construct elaborate theories with many parts, draw diagrams, use italics liberally to indicate that you're using words in a highly specific and idiosyncratic sense. Never say anything too specific, and if you do, qualify it heavily so that you can always insist you meant the opposite. Then evangelize. Speak as confidently as possible, as if you're sharing God's own truth. Accept no criticisms. Insist that any skeptic has either misinterpreted you or has actually already submitted that you are correct. Talk as much as possible. Listen as little as possible. Follow these steps and your success will be assured. End quote.
2: You missed a line. No, I didn't. Read it or I will.
1: It does help if you are male and Caucasian.
2: I can't hear you.
1: <clears throat> it does help if you are male and Caucasian.
2: And scene.
1: Chomsky's casual disdain carries through to many in this weird modern self help pseudo intellectual Caucasian male arena. Like Sam Harris. Uh, I don't bother with Sam Harris.
0: This is, he his, he specializes in hysterical, slanderous charges against people he doesn't like. That's of no interest to me. Am I not concerned with jihadi terrorism? I'm much more concerned with it than he is. I've been. That's why I say you don't just scream at it. You look at the roots. You try to figure out how to deal with it. You respond to it. I don't take him seriously. I don't see any point in talking about him. <laughs>
1: The fucking Snoop, so I'm having a little fun cherry-picking clips where Chomsky's being dismissive, but like most of his criticism, it's brutally honest, devoid of emotion and gets right to the fucking point. Over the course of my journey, first as a writer and now with the show, I've often relied on Chomsky's writings and ideas because they're truly accessible and direct, even for dummies like me. And in preparing for this show, I conservatively watched 10 hours of lectures and interviews just getting lost in the fullness and yet simplicity of his expressions. I allowed myself to get lost in Chomsky through the years from Buckley on forward, and I want to encourage you to do the same. Rather than regurgitate his ideas and rely too much on audio clips and excerpts of his work, I wanted to talk about his role in academia, in media, in society as a whole, because his is a rare gift and one that he has selflessly shared with the world. For someone so accomplished in academia, who spent basically his entire life as an educator, Chomsky's always been critical of the higher education system. Take a listen to a minute from an old lecture where he responds to a question on the state of education in America.
0: Uh, So the educational system is supposed to train people to be uh, obedient, conformist, not think too much, uh, do what you're told, stay passive, don't cause any crises of democracy, don't raise any questions, and so on. That's basically what the the, uh, system is about. Uh, Even the fact that the system has a lot of stupidity in it, I think, has a function. You know, it means that people are filtered out for obedience. If you can guarantee lots of stupidity in the educational system, you know, like stupid assignments and things like that, you know that the only people who make it through are people like me and like most of you, I guess, who are willing to do it no matter how stupid it is because we want to go to the next step, you know. So you may know that this assignment is idiotic and the guy up there couldn't think his way out of a paper bag, but you'll do it anyway uh, because that's the way you get to the next class uh, and you want to make it and so on and so forth. Well, there are people who don't do that, you know. Uh, There are people who say, I'm not going to do it, it's too ridiculous, you know. Uh, Those people are called behavioral problems.
1: So it's a lighthearted response, but has serious meaning behind it, as Chomsky has always been in a perfect position to evaluate our education system. He was criticizing it from the inside out, and while he was surrounded by the brightest young minds in the country at MIT, he was simultaneously recognizing that their intellect was couched in obedience. As such, he saw his job as to help break students and the world, in fact, free of the shackles of subservience, to encourage free expression and free thinking acknowledging the possibility that the most liberated minds belonged to the behavioral problem children in america so i have a bachelor's degree and a master's but my education only began at the conclusion of them when i began to understand the power of self-guided learning and observation the pursuit of knowledge and truth isn't limited to the hallowed halls of some institution dripping with pomp and ivy It's available to anyone with the curiosity and courage to challenge their own belief systems and push beyond the boundaries of what were served in school and the media. It's what we're doing here together. Some of the smartest people that I've met have been on fuckers who have corresponded with me and shared their ideas, topics, and research over the past year.
2: There's a 30% chance there's a basic white guy movie quote coming. You
1: dropped 150 grand on a fucking education you could have got for $1.50 in late charges at the public
0: library. (laughs)
1: So what is the role of a public intellectual? Does it even matter? I would like to think that it does, but because of the virtual blackout of deep thought in the media landscape and saturation of podcasts and YouTube videos, which is theoretically the logical place to access critical thought in this day and age, it requires patience to navigate. There are misdirects to be aware of along the way. See, those on the right might think that Ben Shapiro or Jordan Peterson are the heirs apparent to William Buckley, for example. Looming figures like Kissinger and Larry Summers still exist as titular heads of the conservative ideology in foreign affairs and economics, respectively. But it's hard to imagine someone as well-versed as a Buckley. And for the record, I think Buckley was a capable raconteur and debater, but when pressed by the likes of Chomsky or as evidenced by the legendary exchange at Cambridge with James Baldwin, Buckley struggled to reach these heights. Baldwin, Gore Vidal, Christopher Hitchens were certainly capable of matching not only wits with the greats, but doing so with disarming humor and viciousness. But they've all left us. There are softer intellectuals like Steven Pinker in the middle, Naomi Klein on the left, and Thomas Sowell on the right. Amartya Sen, Jeffrey Sachs, Paul Krugman, Esther Duflo, Thomas Piketty, and Joseph Stiglitz, who have inherited the economic mantle. Radical and provocative thinkers like Ayan Hirsi Ali and Norman Finkelstein, who have been alternately shunned by both the left and the right at various times. Each of them should be considered and listened to. Charlatans like Shapiro and Peterson on the right, or Thomas Friedman and David Brooks on the left, hardly the left, are unfortunately given more airtime and oxygen. But there are real thinkers out there who are doing the work and deserve consideration, even if they challenge your most basic assumptions and preconceptions. But in order to evaluate them and challenge your own bias and education, you must first trust in your ability to sniff out the bullshit, make your own connections. Pull the threads as we do together in this show, build on concepts to make connections even if your ideas aren't original. None of us or precious few of us, myself especially, possess the capacity to retain and synthesize knowledge to the extreme extent of a Chomsky. But we do have the ability to tune out the punditry and think for ourselves to demand proper sourcing and proof from those who would claim a moral or intellectual high ground on a topic of importance to you and the world. Chomsky can speak fluently, effortlessly, and completely on war, weapons, oppression, regimes, climate change, language, social structures, infrastructure, housing, poverty, religion, education, capitalism, anarchism, socialism, Marxism, literature, psychology, liberty, racism, justice, you name it, because he has a gift. But what's astounding is what he chose to do with that gift and it's that choice that makes him one of us and is attainable. To pursue knowledge in the absence of an ideological prism, to see things clearly for what they are and to shrug off partisanism, fanaticism or egotism. For these reasons and more, I wanted to pause to celebrate his life and contribution to our understanding of power in the modern world. In 1967, Chomsky wrote The Responsibility of Intellectuals, so, once again, we don't have to guess what he thinks about a particular subject. In it, he said, quote, Intellectuals are in a position to expose the lies of governments, to analyze actions according to their causes and motives, and often hidden intentions. In the Western world, at least, they have the power that comes from political liberty, from access to information and freedom of expression. For a privileged minority, Western democracy provides the leisure, the facilities, and the training to seek the truth, lying hidden behind the veil of distortion and misrepresentation, ideology, and class interest, through which the events of current history are presented to us. End quote. If it was actually him, it would sound like intellectuals are in a position to expose the lies of you know, it, it's, it's true, it's a fact, it's known to governments to analyze actions according to but I won't keep doing that. It's one thing to allow the intellectual class the time and the freedom to think and express themselves, but it's another entirely to act upon the results to achieve a positive outcome. And to this end, Chomsky believes that the power is among groups of informed individuals to seize upon this information to work toward a better tomorrow. What do we do about it? I mean, I don't want to leave people on a wholly uh, negative
0: analysis, although I believe in facing reality. For ordinary people, it's extremely hard, and that's why you need organization. Uh, what is, if a real democracy is going to thrive, if the real values that are deeply embedded in human nature are going to be able to flourish, and I think that's necessary to save us, if nothing else, it will be it's an absolute necessity that that groups form in which people can join together, can share their concerns, can articulate their ideas, can uh, gain a response, can discover what they think, can discover what they believe, what their values are. This can't be imposed on you from above. You have to discover it by experiment, by, uh, by, by effort, by trial, by application, and so on. And this has to be done with others. Furthermore, uh, Surely, central to human nature is a need to be engaged with others in cooperative efforts of solidarity and concern. That can only happen, almost by definition,
1: through group structures. And that, in some small way, unfuckers, is what I feel like we're all doing here today. Happy birthday, Uncle Gnome. Here endeth the celebration. Hey, before we start in show notes, I just want to thank the unfuckers. Holy cow. Last week, we mentioned in show notes that we were supporting a GoFundMe for the Mohawk community upstate New York called Gana Johalege they were looking to replace a heating system that had broken and purchase firewood for the winter to heat the main house of the community. And as of this recording, I think we're only $500 away. And so many of the unfuckers left comments on the GoFundMe that they had come from the pod and other names we just recognized because they're core listeners of the show. And it just means the whole world to us and that you would have done that. And obviously it means a lot more to the people at Gana Johalege. So pretty humbling, pretty powerful stuff. And just wanted to Top before we get into show notes, say thank you from the bottom of my heart. So, with that said, hey 99, what's shaking?
2: What's shaking? Yeah, I don't know what usually shakes.
1: Well, we have a busy show notes, we do. We have a lot of resources for this show, a few great articles mostly. And in our book love on our bookshop, we listed out of the 120 fucking books that this guy wrote, we listed kind of a highlight. We've got well, you'll see it in our bookshop, and it's also linked in show notes. Go check that out. And we mentioned Reporter by Seymour Hirsch, which really is an incredible read. So he takes you all through the reporting that he did on the My Lai Massacre and really kind of exposes the fuckery inside all of these vaunted institutions that we consider the, you know, the, the height of journalism kind of shows how everything really works and how decisions get made there. And uh, it's a little disconcerting, but also explains a lot. So check out Reporter by Seymour Hersh and check out everything that Noam Chomsky's ever written. And then someday you too will be 93. So we had like a a lot of activity in uh, new memberships. And I'm just going to read off a few of the new members that uh, came aboard to help support the show. We have Jacob W. who said, I love you guys. We have somebody named someone who's now a member. Liberating to say it, fuck Milton Friedman, someone said. Gen J not only became a member, but as you heard up top when 99 announced it, is actually the sponsor of this particular episode. Thank you, Gen J. Restoring My Humanity became a member, saying, really enjoy learning and living in truth at unftr and fuck ronald reagan leslie a v became a member said i love your show jeremy rb became a member and said fmf sempre dave m became a member great work every damn week kim hoover writer became a member and again as you heard up top is actually a sponsor of this episode I've been involved in electoral politics and the progressive movement for years, primarily in LGBT circles, but your podcast has shed more light on why and how we are the way we are than any other source I've found. Thank you, Kim Hoover Writer, and thank you for sponsoring this show. Sasha P. bought 20 coffees for us. Josh K. bought five coffees, and Maria from Puerto Rico bought us five coffees, and Pete in the Pines bought three coffees that I appreciate being on this journey with all of you. Thank you for uh, all of that. Over on Facebook, Cam J weighed in on the infrastructure episode. Cam J's uh, apparently formerly a resource scarcity crisis scientist. Probably left the discipline because that's an impossible title to say, but cam j weighed in left us a nice long post on facebook damon h said hey unftr crew thanks for sharing the link to get a heater for gana and Johalege. i was struggling to find a good place to donate for giving tuesday awesome damon thank you for doing that and star Lottie shared an awesome photo of her rocking the unftr tea love that Rick R said love this pod so a lot of Facebook love this week we appreciate everybody for weighing in over there what happened over on the Twitters
2: at the Sarah Nation recommended our Occupy episode to NPR's Sam Sanders after he tweeted we don't talk about the legacy of Occupy Wall Street enough true that and he liked the tweet so maybe he listened oh, was that right mm-hmm. oh neat yeah I was hoping he'd become an unfucker well he should manifesting come it come on Sam yeah so Chicago Beer Snob was recommending UNFTR to their followers thank you Chicago at Gypsy in America who's truly our number one High person every week it's amazing they said if you haven't discovered the podcast on fucking the republic i strongly recommend it the show's tagline is essentially fuck milton friedman no paywalls listen read free of charge or make donations if you can afford to do so
1: just basically our new publicist thank you for <laughs> gypsy really in america is. uh
2: i'm gonna can you uh, say this next handle for me so- yeah <laughs> so they said <laughs> deep breath <sighs> fuck milton friedman and at Free H R M, just started listening to this podcast a few months ago. I'm so glad I did. Very, very good shit. Some of the best commentary on the American experiment I've heard in a long time. Gives the lie to nearly all mainstream news and politics media. Yeah,
1: I always thought that we were very good shit. But now I know we're very, very good Very,
2: shit. very good. Then at Station Master 21 the same week a co-worker claimed he has, quote, many articles by Nobel Prize economist Milton Friedman proving why unions are trash, end quote. I heard about this pod on With Friends Like These. Universe, you've done it again keep up the unfucking gives me hope for an unfucked world.
1: So, uh, Station Master, tell your co-worker to... uh, Get fucked. No. (laughs) Send uh, Send us what they think is the best defense of Milton Friedman. Not just Milton Friedman articles, but send us a rationale as to why they think that Milton Friedman is one of the greats.
2: And that's all for Twitter.
1: On Instagram, at Eskimo Prince said, everything I learned about what we've done to other smaller or black countries deeply saddens me. But that doesn't mean I can't go there and enjoy the beautiful land, right? So great question, actually. Yeah, well, you know what? You're not involved in foreign policy and you didn't overthrow these nations, presumably at Eskimo Prince, and they rely heavily on our tourism and trade. And it's one of the things that's actually really kind of crushed the economies of uh, the Caribbean and anybody that relies on tourism and trade and they're gonna to have to get back on their feet so yeah no i would encourage people to travel there uh, obviously there's climate implications to everybody getting on a plane all at once and beginning to travel freely again the COVID variants that are out there still make this a very dangerous enterprise but just in terms of like participating in those local economies yeah we should we absolutely should while we also advocate for allowing these territories the right of self-determination and to be free we touched on it in our Caribbean episode, but the fact that we still have Puerto Rico as a protectorate and haven't allowed them a proper referendum to either achieve and attain statehood, like real statehood, with all the trimmings and trappings of being a state in this weird fucking republic of ours. And I told you already, I am willing to give up Florida for Puerto Rico or New Jersey. But the referendum should be, should we be free and uh, and or should we be a state? Frankly, we should be doing the same thing in uh, Hawaii as well. And there are movements, by the way, for both of those things. So if you want to get involved, you can support them through local tourism and trade for sure. But then you can also join advocacy groups to support their right for self-determination. So that's how I feel about that.
2: Ricky M. said, I feel like I should comment here since y'all said you don't get much Instagram interaction. Another great episode. The last few left me with a bit of sense of hopelessness, and I am always so glad for show notes. It really helps pick me back up. Thank
1: you, Ricky M., for saying that. I'm glad that that picks you up. We do try to, you know, lighten it up a little bit in show notes because we get a little heavy. This episode, by the way, this Chomsky episode, I hope that it was like kind of fun and refreshing and chill for everybody and that everybody gets lost in, in watching some dear old Uncle Gnome online. You have some company, Ricky M, because we have at Jesse Rasha said uh, I love your podcast, and Spencer RDS said, "What would you call an expat unfucker?" I'll jump behind the unknucker for now, but would love to hear Ninety Nine and Max's take on this one, expat fucker. Hmm.
2: It's a tough one. It is a tough one. I feel like that makes the most sense,
1: like how we're going with Unclucker for being Oh,
2: just wait! I know you haven't scrolled down the show notes, but there's been a definitive call. Okay. I've taken a tally and we'll, we'll get there. But let's table this one for Spencer and we'll think on it next week. Okay. I like Expat Fucker. Ex, expat Fucker. It does sound like Expecto Petrunum from Harry Potter.
1: Wow, you lost me there. Not a Harry Potter person. So. I
2: know, But, but you're the one
1: that... Can't stand J.K. Well, Rowling I know. anymore. I mean,
2: she's a big old turf. What am I supposed to do? Never meet your heroes except Uncle Gnome. That's right. At Astro Vandalism, Miss Darlene K, Sophia Boussier, and at <laughs> and at John McLugalsmarts all tagged us in screenshots of their Spotify unwrapped. Oh no way! Yeah, oh, that's yeah. so neat. I loved it. You know, some people listen for two thousand minutes, cr- crazy amounts. It was it was awesome. Oh, that's cool. And then here's some other fun stats from our Spotify unwrapped, which we get one for podcasters. So. Ooh. 343 fans listen to UNFTR more than any other podcast, Holy which is balls. amazing. 599 fans listen to most of our episodes. Hmm. And then we release uh, 1734 minutes of content across 41 episodes this year. That's where
1: all the time went.
2: Mm-hmm. Good Lord. My mom was one of the ones who listened to this more than any other podcast.
1: Oh, <laughs> I know. thank isn't that you, cute? mom. Yeah. Really?
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Does she
1: like it? Or she just loves hearing her call?
2: <laughs> I mean, she likes, I think she likes the lighter ones, you know, like the LGBTQ episode. she really liked. But I think some of the economic stuff, not that it goes over her head, it's just like to her, it's not her bag. But she does enjoy hearing me. So, Aww. you know, she's good mommy.
1: I can't get anyone in my family to listen to the
2: show. Well, <laughs> you also didn't tell them for a long time. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> and then, I mean, yeah. my immediate
1: family, yeah. I did. And they were just like, what are you doing? And I'm like, you'll
2: hear Maybe do just something that appeals to them.
1: <laughs> like, uh, if I knew that, oh, my goodness. Uh, we did get some general feedback. Jake F said, love your fucking podcast. Fantastic political history so well presented. Oh, being from Canada, but having lived in the U.S. for 25 years, I can tell you this country makes no fucking sense at all unless viewed in the most cynical possible light. <laughs> Jake F, <laughs> that's very funny. Uh, I'll just leave it there trick. Listen to the episode and your response to me in show notes made me tear up. Uh, I want you to know that our family and city is doing much, much better. That's very good to hear. Uh, David M. said, hey, 99 and Max. Enthusiastic listener who's been eager to write for some time. I love how clear and concise you are. (laughs) You're the one that thinks so. I wish I could convey my thoughts so well, and on the infrastructure episode, I had the same question about how it's really half a trillion bill. Made a mental note to go back and listen to the explanation. Props to 99 for pointing it out. So, um... The omnibus bill in the beginning of the year had already allocated a half a trillion dollars towards spending. So that was kind of done and settled and, and contemplated in the in the budget. And then they proposed a new half a trillion dollars on top of that. So this specific bill put it all together in a spending bill, but it was new money of a half a trillion that was being included. And they just sort of like went back in time and took credit for the thing that was already done. But even if you want to consider it a trillion dollar bill, which is totally fine, it's still only 40% over the next decade of what the American Society of Civil Engineers said that we needed to get our infrastructure to even a B rating. Although, as we covered in the episode, you can pretty much guarantee that the stuff that will get to a B rating or higher has everything to do with trade and commerce and nothing to do with alleviating poverty or making life easier for most of the citizens of this country. Anyway, P.S. Do you have any plans to do a show about Israel? Hmm. So what's interesting about Israel is, yes, it's going to be on the roadmap at some point, but, you know, it's like we have to really take our time and do it from multiple perspectives and actually figure out what is the unfucking... Relationship to the United States policy that we want to take Uh, Obviously, you know part of the the position and part of who we are is to fight for those without a voice So there will be palestinian sympathies in any sort of presentation that we do But also to be clear that doesn't mean that israelis do not have a right as well to self-determination We are not probably going to be the podcast that brings peace to the middle east or solves the crisis between israel and palestine But there are a number of widely held notions that I believe that we can contribute to debunking that are certainly appropriate. We should talk about the flow of funds and weapons to the Middle East, not just to Israel, but to proxies like Saudi Arabia as well, and to talk about the relationships there. And my guess is when we really do a proper unfucking of the conflict and the flow of dollars and funds and weapons that come from the United States that contribute to all of the Malays in the Middle East, we'll probably go back and start with Churchill and Roosevelt and Stalin carving up the Middle East really to benefit the british and american empires first and foremost in setting this up for a hundred years of a brawl but i'm also going to tell you that it will probably set the table with our episode on oil which factors heavily into that as well so don't expect this to just be a straight line i think israel's bad or i think palestinians should leave then it's not going to be like that on fuckers and that's why you listen Fatuma F. I love the podcast. Been recommending it to a lot of my friends. First heard about it from Canada Land. And P.S. I love the movie references from 99. It's a crime that it took Max so long to watch Bring On.
2: Bring It On. Yeah. Bring It On. I put it in there because... I didn't watch Bring It On. Exactly. I put it in there because Fatuma's going to be even more disappointed that you've never even seen it.
1: You know, I do have to... These
2: are not spirit fingers. Oh my God. These are spirit fingers. That's for you, Fatuma.
1: In between... You know, I don't know, writing the show and sleeping and watching all of my requisite basic white guy media.
2: When am I going to watch something like Bring It On? Be inclusive. Watch basic white girl media.
1: <sighs> There's only one of me. David W. said, love the show, love the coffee, love the show on coffee, uncompromising, unadulterated, unfuckery. Thanks for that, David. And uh, the gen- uh, closing out general feedback is our buddy Bookstore Kim said I do know Bernie he ran for mayor in Burlington when I was 12 first met him at the polls when I went with my mother he asked me what issues I was concerned with and I gave him an earful about how my school didn't have any money for art God I love bookstore Kim <laughs> I can't wait to visit her anyway oh so she sent a, a picture of Bernie in the bookstore uh, doing a book signing but Bernie was apparently annoyed because uh, Santa also came in at the same time and sort of disrupted thing but Bernie brings like literal gifts to people Bernie's a much better Santa anyway
2: This next email is one of my favorites.
1: Uh, Do you want to read it?
2: I mean, sure. Alex S. wrote in and said, I do, however, have one small bone to pick with you. So I got that and I was like, oh no, what did we do wrong? But Alex said, in the show notes of your uh, last episode, you were surprised that you had a listener from New Jersey (laughs) because of your shit talking towards the Garden State. We New Jerseyans expect everyone to hate us because we hate everyone by default. Additionally, insulting someone is basically how we show affection here. You have tons of fans here in New Jersey, even though we simultaneously hate you and everyone else. <laughs> Keep up the great work. FMF, fuck Ronald Reagan, fuck Tucker and a stupid face. With much hate, Alexander
1: S from New Jersey. Damn it, don't make me like you. <laughs> oh, shit. Ray hey, yo, we gonna blow New Jersey up, no funny shit. Jersey, oh, so, Raff said, as always, wanted to drop a quick note to congratulate you on the press of last few episodes. Just listen to the Caribbean episode. I have to say the depth of fuckery go further than I ever imagined. Uh, and But Rafe Raff closed by saying, okay, here we go. Max, uncluckers, what are you on? I stand with 99. I like plant fuckers, as others have suggested. Which segues into below This is my note from 99 Debate feedback Oh my god you have a whole fucking chart Okay here we go Atomic Dog is back with an update on their chickens 99 I do raise chickens as a hobby And have rescued and rehomed chickens for many years How did you know that Like you just you sensed There was something about Atomic Dog That, that was not you know just your regular meat eating uh, You know carnivore
2: You know survive You knew Yeah
1: That's neat. Which brings me to Atomic Dog's point. The reason I support Uncluckers is that one of the best ways people can reduce animal cruelty in factory farms is to stop buying commercially raised eggs and chicken. Uncluckers emphasizes the impact we can make on animal suffering, which is an important moral ethic for me, just my two cents. So that settles it. We're going up Uncluckers, right?
2: Well, no, keep reading. But one note I want to say before people start getting their own backyard chickens is that obviously Atomic Dog is a very responsible chicken owner and raiser, but a lot of people, I used to volunteer at a farm sanctuary, and a lot of people will get chickens and they don't realize the commitment. They don't realize what happens when the chickens get older and they stop laying eggs and they need medical costs. Like, if you're going to care for an animal, you need to care for its life. Just make sure you do your research if you're going to try to start doing something like that, because it's like how, I mean, around Easter time, bunnies are sold from pet stores and they're promptly returned or abandoned. You know, saying like you shouldn't get a dog for a That's gift. Sick. Yeah, there's a lot of sad stuff with animals out there, and
1: don't you also need a rooster to fuck them?
2: Ew. Um, so I don't want to talk about that. I mean, look, I like now I'm just now I'm just upset. I was about to make a poignant <laughs> point about me meeting people where I am, I'm where sorry, they are. I was,
1: trying, I was deliberately trying to take you.
2: I off know the... I could tell. Okay. What, you don't like my vegan soapbox. I
1: love your vegan soapbox. Okay. Don't it's the in police coming at you. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, Lindsay F. said, I am a vegan. I love UNFTR. I do not love uncluckers. Almost sounds like we're killing chickens. There's an opposing viewpoint. And 99 has put together a helpful, oh, this is bullshit. No,
2: it's not. Plant
1: Fucker beat Unclucker by one by vote. By one
2: vote. And Manny betrayed me and he went with Unclucker. It's not a he betrayal. Said, he said, it's better. And it I said, is better. Oh, what's wrong with you? It's awful. No, it. Look, I can't, I did not make this, oh, this up. This is
1: far from, a. Ama- why? first of all, why is this over? And second of all, even if you declare it over, which is ridiculous. That's because
2: I get to declare things like that.
1: I, I mean, you are the great and powerful ninety-nine, but in uh, but this is far from a mandate. This is like a Justin Trudeau mandate. This is like oh, I won twenty-seven percent of the vote, a, uh, eh? and so I have a mandate. I'm like, no, you don't.
2: I do. You have I decided work to do. No, I don't I don't want there to be a formal vote because now I feel like we're gonna have people who are picking sides based on allegiance. Well, then not no, based you'll on you'll
1: win that and that's not good for me either. Everybody <laughs> writes in that they love you.
2: It's fun to have this off the cuff like these are the most passionate people who felt inclined to write in about Unclucker or Plantfucker. Look, yes I included myself in the vote, but I also included you. And if anything, if you take out the three of us, then you win by two. Exactly. Big deal. Sorry. There are no hanging chads here.
1: It's a fraud. It's stolen. It's all a bigly lie. I'm the real president. cluckers forever.
2: Well, if you're equating cluckers with Trump. I'm sneaking this in in post-production, but maybe
1: we're going about this all wrong. How about impossible fuckers? Just a thought. Uh, we did have one review, by the way. Daniel O'More said, the Caribbean episode was one of the more educational podcasts I've heard on this topic. People really do not get how we have failed Haiti. True that. You painted a great picture. I will share with others. Thank you for the review, Daniel Moore. Remember, you can review us in your podcast app. Give us a rating or a review. It helps us work our way up the ladder and uh, get into all of the, uh, I don't know what the fuck it does, actually. It's just, it seems great <laughs> when you see all these reviews. As always... Unfucking the Republic is edited and arranged by Manny Faces Media. What you gotta tell Joe Biden right now? Bring me to the White House, baby. Bing bong. The show is lovingly produced by the great and powerful 99. Plant fuckers rule. Our theme music was composed by Tom McGovern. Visit tommcgovern.com. The show is hosted by William F. Buckley's Fake Accent and distributed by creepy old dudes in ice cream trucks. Send us your comments, your questions, your suggestions to unftrpod at gmail. Connect with us on social at unftrpod. Become a member at buymeacoffee.com UNFTR. Visit our book list at bookshop.org shop slash UNFTR pod. Get some native roasted coffee at UNFTR.com shop and read our essays on Substack at UNFTR.substack.com. Remember, it's always free. Happy birthday to the goat, Noam Chomsky. We'll see you next week.
2: Can you sing it like Marilyn? Happy birthday.
1: Happy birthday, Noam Chomsky. <laughs> looming figures like kissing her I have to go potty go potty okay
2: PRB. you know that's gonna be in the show now oh god okay. <laughs> <laughs> what should I do that he's gone should I go through his computer expose him should I sing what should I sing or just keep deep breathing.